And we have been on a journey for almost two years asking what it means for Jesus to be the center of our church and bit by bit the center of our individual lives. And this, this fall, we have uh, we've been looking at the wide stream of Christianity. While on Wednesday nights, we've been asking, what makes Baptist unique? Historically, where did Baptist even come from? On Sunday mornings, we've been asking, what do we have in common with Christians all around the world? Because it's time for us to stand united and to ask once again, what does it mean for Jesus to be at the center? So we've gone back to an ancient Christian confession known as the Apostles' Creed. And week by week, we've been looking at line after line. And I invite you to recite this again with our brothers and sisters around the world. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And today, as you may have picked up just listening to the music, it feels like Easter all over again. It's that very important line, the third day he rose again from the dead. So where do we begin? If Jesus is at the center, why don't we begin with his own words? talking about this event before it happens. And so I direct your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the the signs of the time. An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left and went away. This is the second time in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus says the sign of Jonah is the sign and the key that you have to understand what's going to happen as he makes his way to Jerusalem. The second time. So if Jesus is at the center, then let's take his word seriously. And maybe we need to take a second look at this story that too often is just relegated to a story that we tell to entertain and to amaze children. What is it that Jesus is wanting us to see about the story of Jonah? One of my preaching professors years ago described the prophet this way, God Almighty should have no business with Nineveh. Jonah was like many of God's people. 
He drew a circle around God's love. God Almighty has to do with justice and mercy. He judges others and he shows mercy to me. Nineveh is the capital city of the enemy. And through the years, we've just changed the names from Nineveh to Babylon, to Rome, to Berlin, to Moscow, Havana, Iran. Nineveh is the land where godless people live and threaten to take us over. They don't need sermons. They just need judgment. And I suspect we still do the same. We still have our Ninevehs, places we don't really want to go, and people we don't want moving next door to us, people where we've drawn a circle and they are outside that circle of God's love. For some people, it's still the old issue of race. For some people, it's about nationality. For some, it's politics. Sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's football teams. You get the idea. Jonah is alive and well today. But it's Easter. Let's see what Jesus was really trying to say. So I direct your attention to Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship, so he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And we know it isn't always comfortable to find that groove of God's calling, God's demand. Seeing the world through a different lens, a new way of looking at your neighbor, a new way of looking at your family, and certainly a new way of looking at your enemy. God's lens. Disruptive. Exciting. Like Jonah, we want our God to be tribal. Controllable. There when we need God and pushed off to the side when we don't want things to get in our way. And so Jonah runs. And God runs with him. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us as though we do, uh, so that none of us will have to perish. And I think I've heard, I think I've heard this story before. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat against the side of the boat so that the boat was already being swamped and he was in the stern, asleep with his head on the pillow. And his disciples came to him and they woke him up and they said, don't you care that we are perishing? And perhaps the connection is there that Jesus wants us to see and it's deeper than just the idea of, of three days. And there they are, wondering if they're going to make it. 
the mariners, throwing every they can, everything they can over, over into the sea. They wake Jonah up. Join us. We've all called on our gods. They cast lots, and it turns out God is in charge of the storm, and that day God is in charge of the dice. And they look at him, and they say, what have you done? And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh who controls the land and the sea, and this is what you need to do. You need to throw me overboard. You have to give those sailors credit. They did not want to do it. They waited until the very last and finally threw him over. And maybe we need to give some credit to Jonah. Or maybe it's just that some people will do anything to avoid what God wants them to do. Most wrestle with it. We do. You might be this morning, and you're not alone. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I do think I've heard this story before. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. There's something, unfamiliar, there's something familiar and something very uncomfortable about this story of Jonah. In Moby Dick... Herman Melville satirizes the attempts to explain how Jonah could have lived three days in the whale's belly. Some argued that Jonah hid in the hollow of a tooth in a whale for three days. Others argued that Jonah hid in a dead whale for three days, which sounds a lot worse to me. Some argued that he was found by a ship named the whale. A few attempts concentrate on the chemical composition of the juices in the whale's belly, which just gets very messy and misses the whole point of the story, Jonah would rather die than serve the kind of God that would love the people of Nineveh. Even Jonah's final attempts at death could not separate him from God's purpose. And some would rather kill Jesus than hear his message. His message about the kingdom of God, about how everything was going to change, about who was going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen, shepherds, Gentiles, people struggling with life and morality and politics and religion, People who are living on the outside. And this is a good place to just stop and ask with Jonah, what kind of God are we dealing with here? Be warned. Be careful. Before you know it, you might just do something foolhardy, like volunteering to teach a class of children on Sunday morning or taking your vacation and going on a mission trip or going across town. 
The well is more than just a character in the story. The well becomes a location, a place. The, the well becomes this prayer closet, sacred space, where God finally has Jonah's full attention, quiet, alone, hopeless, dark. And we do not want the whale's belly. But life brings it anyway. Financial woes. Cancer. Divorce. Job termination. Teenagers. Grief. And dreams lost. Don't miss the chance. No one wants to be there, but don't miss the chance once you are there that this becomes your Jonah moment where in the darkness and in the quietness, even in the exile, the whale's belly becomes sacred space, a new opportunity. And so there's a change of geography for Jonah, but unfortunately there isn't a change of theology. And don't let that happen to you as you're washed up on the beach of life. Don't let that happen to you. A gift of grace, a gift of mercy. The fish isn't the focus of the story. The people of Nineveh are not the focus of the story. Jonah is not the focus of the story. The grace of God is the focus of the story. And Jonah knows it. And he doesn't like it. Even today, too much grace turns the stomach of some Christians. So Jonah preached a sermon. It's a good three-point sermon. It goes like this. Number one, God is just and righteous. Number two, you are sinners. Number three, Burn, baby, burn. Jonah knew it's what they deserved, it's what they needed, and it's what he needed to say to them. And don't be too quick to cast judgment on the people outside of your circle. Don't be too quick to call on the day of the Lord. You may just discover that the day of the Lord is also for you. From pagan sailors to waves crashing, to a growing bush and a hungry worm, to the people of Nineveh, everyone in the story responds to God and repents, except Jonah. He does not repent. Not this one. He does understand God. A clear understanding of who God is and what God is like may be even better than most of us most days. The king's words of Nineveh are worth repeating. Who knows? God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. What a difference one person makes who says, who knows? What a difference one person makes pointing in the right direction. Who was that person in your life who went out of his or her way? Who was that person who gave just a little extra attention? Who was that person who saw some potential in your life? In your gifts and abilities? 
Who was that person who nudged you in God's direction? And Jonah screams, God is here. And so did Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And then Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring on them, and he did not do it. God had compassion. Doesn't matter how you say it, don't quite understand it, but I certainly do find hope and encouragement. God changed God's mind. Good news. Gospel. Easter. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. Good news. Gospel. Easter. And Jonah was angry. He told them God was going to get them but good, and now God was just doing good. From Jonah's perspective, the number one problem is that this God is just too soft on sin. From Jonah's perspective, Yahweh made him into a liar. From Jonah's perspective, he would rather die than live in a world with a God like this. A God who forgives your enemies. What's going to happen when your God forgives your enemies? When your God loves your enemies just as much as God loves you. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said? I was is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah builds a lean-to, and he sets down to contemplate his new career as a successful evangelist. And God appointed a bush to grow. Sometimes that's all I need from God, a little shade. Sometimes we don't need much, just a, can't, uh, just a, a chance to catch our breath, a chance to reflect, a chance to withdraw for just a few moments. And then in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7, there's not a funnier line in all the Bible. And God appointed a worm. Might be you. Might be me. God appointed a worm and it did what worms do and it chewed through the bush and the bush fell over and now there's Jonah exposed to the sun and he's angry. And God says, why are you angry? Do you have a right to be angry? I do. I 
told them they're going to die. And now they're not. And God said, if, if you can feel pity for a bush, why can't you see the world the way that I see it? And from Jonah's perspective, grace isn't fair. And in a bookkeeping, scorekeeping world, that's tough to live with. But if you're the person who's dying and feeling hopeless, oh, it is as sweet as honey. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And turned things upside down. And the first will be last, and the last will be first. Here's how the book of Jonah ends. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. And it came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? It's the only book in the Bible that ends with a question. Tonight, at sunset begins the high holy day for the Jewish community of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The tradition is that on the Day of Atonement, at sunset, the entire book of Jonah is read because everyone needs to be reminded we all need a second chance. Everyone needs to be reminded of a gracious God, loving and prone to wanting to talk and listen and be in communion. And especially on that one day, is today the day. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to you except for this one. When God is involved in the world, everything changes. And now we are living in between the days when God's will will be completely realized, and yet we're not quite there. And God invites you to be a part of a changing world, a kingdom world, where conversations make a difference, meals make a difference, acts of kindness and love make a difference, prayers make a difference, you make a difference. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, and it's never been the same. Will you join me in prayer? And Lord, we open up our hearts as best we can wondering what the future may hold. We bury deep within us hurt and pain, fear. Questions.
Will you hear us this morning? Will you remind us that we are not alone, even in that dark place, that quiet place, that place that too often has felt like exile? And will you nudge us towards the light? Resurrection life, in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we continue our prayers and we give you an opportunity. If you've never invited Christ into your life, we would love to have that opportunity to pray with you. Nick is on that side. I'm over here. Uh, We have lots of folks. If you're a little uncomfortable during this invitation, find one of us after the service and let's talk. But, But also, listen to that quiet voice that you've been thinking about. You've looked around, you see opportunities to join in what God is doing, that that gentle nudge to be a part of something that makes a difference. Where is God wanting to use you? Where can you make a difference in God's kingdom? Will you stand as we celebrate?